All right. Once again, from the Red Room, I'm Mitch Proctor, and tonight we have returning guests Mike and Charlie. Uh, we are excited to have them back once again. And uh, I'm, I'm going to start off by saying that tonight it's going to ramble again. Yeah. We're going to let it flow. We're going to let it go. Um, and we are we are pretty good ramblers. We are good ramblers. We are good ramblers. So uh, I, I don't know. Should we have another introduction again? Let's just sure. go, go yeah. around the table. Good idea. Okay. Let's Mike. let's remind remind our listeners who we are. Okay. So I'm I'm Mike. Uh, known shoot Mitch. How long have I known you for? It's been. I don't want to say because it makes me sound really old. Yeah, it's been at least 15 years. 15 years, I think. Close to. It's been quite a while. And Charlie, I think I've known you about the same length of time. A long time. That's that's true. We go way back. Yeah, we do. We've We've crossed paths many times. It's true. And swords. Never never cross swords. (laughs) (laughs) Never never cross the streams. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so my name is Charlie. Charles, Triple C, whatever. Anybody you want to call me. Probably a lot of bad names, too. I've known these guys for a while. And I'm glad to be back. I'm excited to be back. The first time was really interesting and uh, addictive, and I think you've got a really good setup here, Mitch. I like what you're doing. Good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad because, again, this that's why I'm doing it. That's why I wanted to do it, and that's why I'm glad you guys are here doing it again. You just have to, such a sultry voice, Mitch. It's comforting. You. It makes me want to expose myself to you. What can I tell you? Mitch? Well, it doesn't take much for him to want to expose himself. It's a, it's a big table, so <laughs> I'm not sure what that would mean. <laughs> <laughs> We were uh, talking right before we started recording um, about the podcast. We were talking about where we were going with it, what we were uh, talking about it, um, uh, really kind of what the purpose was, and if there were, got really existential before we even sat down. So uh, let's let's start with. um, Well, I I think I think what we had been talking about before uh, we started the podcast tonight. um, You know, Charlie and I were discussing family Mm -hmm. and how a podcast could help you perhaps connect with family. And I think this is something that, that all of us feel strongly about because we, we have family that we care very deeply for. And we, we're looking for ways to stay connected. You know, I, I, I'm the oldest of five kids. Um, my father was a school teacher. And I was fortunate growing up because three months out of the year, we used to travel cross country. And a lot of those travels took us to different family members, homes, um, aunts, uncles. You didn't have like a weird aunt that would like pinch your cheeks or something. No, like that no. I would have to say like like I, my father's side of the family is probably the more entertaining side of the family, and that's just because there seems to be perhaps some insanity on that side of the family. Mine too. Um, my mother's side, you know, a little more down to earth, uh, homey, came from from Kansas, so they're uh, you know farmers and and that that sort of uh, uh, folks there. So maybe a little more homey, a little less drama going on than my father's side of the family. But, you know, I loved both sides. Um, there was always something entertaining to do or to learn or to, to say. And I enjoyed the fact that as a child I got to travel and spend time with all my, you know, extended aunts and uncles, cousins, which unfortunately in, in today's society, I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but for me with my own family, it seems to be difficult to get that time and those opportunities to travel to visit family it's becoming more rare uh, yeah I, I think I think it's rare but I think it has a lot to do with um, I don't think it's a focus I don't think it's as big of a focus of attention for people and I don't think there's a, a, a real um, do you hear about that from anybody and is it not with it, people I, mean, I is work it really with, no. is it because I hear about people going on vacations to uh, Disneyland Disney World, and I remember when I was a kid, it was much more of we're going to see your grandparents, 
you know, we're going to take a trip across country and along on the way to see Meemaw, we're going to stop at the Grand Canyon kind of thing. Yeah. It wasn't, um, it wasn't ever a hundred percent about this, uh, you know, extravagant, uh, vacation. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I had friends of mine that did that too. They would go on big ski trips, but even when they would go on ski trips, it would be, uh, these were people who were very well off and could afford to probably fly and have it be very convenient, but they would load up in a big van, one of those old A-team style vans with the ladder The, on the, the family truckster. <laughs> but it would be, you know, and they would jump in with all the kids and they would go on a long trip where uh, their mom would make a bunch of sandwiches and shit like that. And that, that I don't think that's around as much anymore. And Sandwiches? It, it, sandwiches, sandwiches. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I no remember sandwiches. sandwiches. There were good sandwiches back in the day. I don't think there's as much a, 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 a need and, and a sort of core desire to want to just get in your family or people who feel obligated to do so. At least, at least that's not. Do what you think I'm modern technology is stepping on that a little bit? I mean, because everyone can just jump on their FaceTime and connect. Or do you think there's just there's there's no desire? What do you think is drawn that out of society at this point? Culture. Uh, a few things. I mean, I th- I think there's a that's. It's almost an interesting situation where we're talking about maybe kind of a minefield, right? When you talk about why is that the way it is. It's kind of run parallel. Well, you know what? Yeah, because I think that you're talking about um, that to me starts touching on the core question of why people aren't so interested in family anymore. And I think that you start talking about divorce rates and when that spiked and where that came from in, in American culture. I can't speak worldwide. But pretty well documented that divorces were spiking right there mid 1900s, 1950s, and through the Catholic, uh, uh, whatever the shifting Catholic principle in the 60s. The Illuminati. I think. Oh. I think that no. I think um, you're on something there in the 60s. It did spike, particularly with the Catholic Church, and they had uh, a new rule implemented where yes. you had to take classes before you got married if you want to get married in the Catholic Church it, they became the Catholic Church as a whole I okay. and, I, and I, I really wish I was more informed Cana. like I am but they became more accepting of different types of people and they became more relaxed about their rigid guidelines for what it took for forgiveness and uh, just to be a Catholic and there were that was a huge divide in society I only bring that up mainly because if you have a instead of families who are together for a long period of time and you know interacting with their kids and taking their kids to their grandparents and there was also a little bit more of a modest desire for what the American dream was it was kind of a modest home and a picket fence and shit and a car right it wasn't a big McMansion and and a a Hummer you know or or whatever pick your car Uh, BRZ (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, it, but you know it's 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 not as much of an emphasis, and I think when you start extrapolating, it boils back to a point where people just started getting divorced because they were unhappy. There there was a huge vacuum of kids that grew up without their fathers or mothers. You know, in some cases, I think it was more predominantly single moms that were raising kids. And I think you you fast forward that thirty five years, there's a big conversation, there, <laughs> but a lot of things we can go back on. But you fast forward that to now and. What do they really know? I mean, they know that their their job as a young adult is to uh, get a job, make money, get established, have a nice two-door Mercedes convertible, and, you know, 
be able to be wealthy and keep up with the Joneses, you know? Well, I think, you know, Mitch, you asked about, like, you know, technology and how that has affected things. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that perhaps technology has, uh, in one on one hand, perhaps given us an avenue to maybe not be as close to family. Because nowadays you have Facebook. You can get on Facebook. Instead of sending your mom I'm a so card. I'm so excited about this conversation. And instead of sending your mom a birthday card. You send her like, a Facebook yeah. notice, whatever you do on Facebook. Right. You send her a, no- a Facebook notice. A know, Facebook you, message. Just a real quick message. Be like, Mom, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Right. Three exclamation marks. Right. Three exclamation marks this year. Last year it was only two. Yeah. But And, and I mean, that that is so impersonal compared to what, what you used to do. You used to go out and buy the card. Think of a note, write a note in there, send it to mom. You know, you have to take it down to the mailbox, snail mail it. Yeah. Nowadays you could email. Um, but I mean, having said that, I do think that there are mediums out there that possess the potential to help you connect with people. Like, you know, we were, Charlie and I were having this conversation the other night talking about podcasts and family and how you could potentially use that to connect to family and share stories about where you came from, who you are, give give the rest of the family, extended family that perhaps you don't get to go visit. That's the idea. An opportunity. Well, in many ways to learn who they exa- are. It's exactly what we're talking about, right? It's the fact that they're not sitting there at the fireplace listening to grandpa talk about how his dad came into this country and did mm-hmm. such and such. They don't have exposure and they don't have time for that shit. And I I would argue that as opposed to getting into a chicken or the egg conversation about how uh, online opportunities (laughs) or or technology might have caused them to start deterring they from talking to grandma, they were already not talking to grandma. Yeah. You know, I think what technology does is sort of reinforces that that's okay. It gives them an ability to sort of, uh, you know, send them the e-card with the little, you know, whatever design they have and they can do it three seconds and have it be fleeting and basically meaningless and what's interesting about that is when you get a handwritten note you feel like somebody created some sort of mastercraft piece of masonry that's been chiseled out with each letter you're like wow she went through the extra step you know man she really went through the extra effort of writing us a thing she really can i share something with you i'm gonna guilt trip you right i'm gonna guilt trip you right now speaking of handwritten notes it makes a difference i got in the mail today a handwritten note from our last guest from guillermo he sent me a postcard oh well now i gotta step up now you guys have to step it up what's the first what's the first word that you thought of if you one word to describe what you felt about that action how would you describe that i felt grateful Grateful. I felt, I felt grateful. Class. I felt touched. It was what class? Oh, absolutely. The guy always has class. absolute class He's always done act that. To, to to really send. A, that's formal yeah. now, right? Yeah. And and there was more attention to that kind of formality and uh, to etiquette. Mm-hmm. You know, there was more of that emphasis. I think in the past. Um, I, I I think there's a lot. Of, I think it draws into a lot of things that connect to this thing. I like you know, that you mentioned that it's not. We don't want to get into like a chicken or the egg thing, but I do think because we're we're obviously not going to answer the question, right? You know, right. but it's a great topic just to kind of swirl around and and yeah. bat back and forth the way that they've the the decline in the family unit and like moving parallel to the advent of technology. But at the same time, here we are recording this podcast. Which you know, a few years back, or you know, quite a few years back, I would never have had the, the the ability to record this at a reasonable rate, and I was maybe 15, 16 years old. My grandparents were getting on an age, and we talked about as a family, like 
their children and my first cousins, oh, we should all get together and record some stories on, on tape. You know, they wanted to do that. It didn't happen. And now all those stories are lost. Right. You know, so that's another. Uh, or lost it, in translation in a way. Or lost I mean, in translation because be, you can recall them. So I, th- I think there's something to that because, uh, you know, it's really simple um, to text, write something and lose the inflection that somebody might put into it if they really cared about it. Yeah. It changes what's being said when somebody is uh, focusing on certain syllables of certain words or inflecting them in a certain way you can tell that they're well have, have you ever experienced yeah. that where you texted somebody and they got the got, got the wrong message from what you texted absolutely well it, who it's has interesting it? they're they're uh they're it's about where they are it's about where their filter is that they're receiving that message through and uh, people aren't going to think in terms like that very often they're not breaking down the dynamics of conversation you know they're like that motherfucker called me a stupid <laughs> name i fucking asshole i hate that charlie well, it's true. He, 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 a lot of people. Well, you know, it's, I, was, I, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was also not going to fight him on the point. Well, of course yeah. not. Of course not. But no, I no, think, I, I they think, don't say that. Well, I, yeah. I think, <laughs> they don't I, I think back to and 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 Charlie and I discussed this again the other night. But we, uh, I talked about the movie, uh, definitely maybe, with Ryan Reynolds. He has a daughter. He's going through the, in the movie. He's a good-looking man. Yeah, he's a good-looking man. Yeah, that's true. You have a man crush, I guess. He's a, uh, but uh, but he's going through in the movie. He's telling his daughter the story of how he met her mother. I have a man crush on Deadpool. And of course you do. <laughs> I do. Um, he's gorgeous. That's okay. Yeah. But in, is in this man. movie, and who was the actor again that we said was tell the me he's gorgeous professor? Or freak out. You no, 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 no. Ryan Just tell Reynolds me. is gorgeous. You like no. you like Ryan Reynolds as was Deadpool. You like Ryan Reynolds. You liked him all burnt up and you like and gooey. I was thinking more like Blade Three. Blade three. Oh, Blade also three. There you go. Ryan you like Reynolds. him. You like him with the the beard. Mike, why? Are you, yeah, yeah, why are you yeah. Okay. You like I already said I had a man crush. What did, I, uh, did you? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I can admit it. So anyway, you're watching de- definitely so, maybe. Definitely maybe. And uh, and Charlie helped me out here. Who was the uh, the actor we determined was in definitely maybe that was like the older writer? And Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. Uh, Fantastic uh, actor. Yeah. And he was discussing in the in the movie he's doing reading from a book that he wrote. And, he, and, and I just remember, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing here. He, he says something along the lines of, you know, the most uh, the most endangered species is not some bird in a tree, but it's the words that are coming out of our mouths. And I thought that that was, that was kind of poignant, and, mm. you know, and I don't know how old that movie is, but especially today, perhaps, with, uh, with the advent of Facebook and, you know, being able to text and do all this stuff. People are perhaps space. losing the ability <laughs> to, to communicate. So all I was saying <laughs> with this, thank you, Charlie, for giving me the face. Um, w, WTF, why the face? Yeah, why, why the face? face? Why the face? Why yeah. the face? Um, was just to say that uh, perhaps we have lost the ability to communicate with mm-hmm. the advent of technology. But then, you know, just like Homer Simpson says, to beer, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Yeah. Uh, perhaps technology will be that same thing for us. The cause of and solution to to all of our communication problems. I'm in the camp of it thinking that it changes uh, us as a collective group into something that we've never been before. Because we, we function a lot more like a single organism because of the internet than we ever have in the past. And they draw parallels. Like a hive, hive, mind, like a hive mind? Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, that's what you see with Twitter explosions and things that go viral. I mean, these are 
happen they happen yeah. and they get compared by people smarter than me to colonies of ants colonies of different insects bees uh, because of everybody being connected and getting the same updates at the same time and being able to react in real time it the internet as a collective with everybody connected to it represents or presents itself like a hive organism separate from us as individuals wow now that's something i've never heard or considered but that's an interesting concept well there's a there's the thought that we're moving towards uh abandoning biological life in in the pursuit of all this technology Hmm. that the end result event horizon if you will or something is that we will eventually merge with our technology yes and we will become outdated as bioorganisms yeah i saw that you movie know? wasn't that with bruce, bruce willis which one was that Look, it, it's funny now. it's funny because it lends itself to all the jokes it really does there's lots to laugh hearing, about but yeah when you start hearing uh like stephen hawking talking about his his most serious concern ai ai mm-hmm. and you know and then you hear other great minds other astrophysicists talking about the same thing uh, and then you pair that with simultaneously you have physicians out there that are already proving that they can connect uh, you know, a direct line of control into the brain mm-hmm. so that you can control uh, a, prost- a prosthesis, mm-hmm. hand, fingers, and they're making them um, you know, more and more intricate because technology is expanding. And what's interesting is whenever you read about this, it's funny that you don't hear the word nanotech anymore. And you don't hear anybody talking about that aspect of it. But there's a whole field of study and a lot of money involved about the future of your health being microscopic and nanotech like bots cleaning out your bloodstream and flowing all through you. And if you have that and they're programmable and you have a chip in your brain that you can control prosthetics from, you're not a long way off from having this hybrid you're a cyborg creature. Yeah, nice <laughs> well it changes what we are evolutionarily you know so mm-hmm. in a hundred years we will look like to make the joke funny we'll be the fucking cavemen yeah they'll, they'll think oh man they used to sit around card tables <laughs> and talk in the it's like in uh, back to the future when the kids are like oh that's a kids game you got to use your hands yeah right you know? <laughs> that, was <Elijah laughs> Wood. that was elijah wood oh that's right it was that it was, was the elijah hobbit wood. yeah it was. was so funny frodo baggins it's like a baby's toy. Mm-hmm. You know? Baby's toy, I think you're, you're correct. <laughs> I still want my teeter hang-ups floating machine that Grandpa McFly came floating in the door upside down in. You know that was made by I just want a hoverboard. Well, they're working on it. I've been waiting for Haven't that. You're going to have to have streets. Have you seen Tony Hawk riding one? No. That was cool. Wasn't that cool? That, that was, was really impressive. cool. That was pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Real life hoverboard. Apparently, I'm not connected to the internet enough. You're to not see connected this. to the hive mind, <laughs> I, man. I, I got to get, get with hive. it. You need to get connected. That's oh, right. Please it, join us. You will be much happier. Take the blue pill? No. I had to. I had to go Matrix. Well, yeah, right. yeah that, that could definitely spin off. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a fan. I'm not going to claim by any stretch of the imagination that I am in any way cultured, but I do like uh, Jackson Pollock. <laughs> I like Jack, Jackson Pollock's paintings. I can't speak sounds to them until you. Cultured, Mike. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds real cool. Yeah, yeah Jackson Pollock splashed paint. Can I go pour I you a fine Pinot Noir? No, um, I'm not cultured. I'm rough. <laughs> 
rough like the streets I came from. No, I'm just saying that like <laughs> that uh, the streets of El Salvador. That's right, El Salvador by way of the White Mountains of Arizona. Like how um, you get so smart. You know, I, I was, was born with it. It was gifted with it. It's it's were not. Were you in gifted programs when you were a child? I was actually. Were you? Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what uh, did they the call it? Answer is uh, we called it gifted. Did they just call it gifted? Yeah, up in the White Mountains, there we called it gifted. Uh, we <laughs> weren't. Yeehaw. We weren't really. We weren't really uh, uh, much on the way of thinking outside the box. Oh. So. so uh, but all I was gonna say was so because everybody else you know likes it or adores it or you know heaps mountains of praise on it doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be that yeah I, but what? just because everybody else may uh may not share your opinion of it doesn't mean that it can't hold I have a no i wasn't saying that it, okay i see i see i have um, a unifying theory okay okay, okay so so uh, i wonder you guys have probably heard about this whether it's music or paintings for instance or movies uh, great art is always entertaining because every time that you watch it as you get older you change mm-hmm. the movie doesn't and you identify with different characters or you I mm-hmm. you 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 are able to appreciate a part of the story that really never meant shit to you before oh yeah you know so if you go back and watch movies you loved in the 90s and then you catch yourself going you know what that is so funny i never got that before but i get it now right mm-hmm. what, whatever it is and it could be dry humor complex humor deep humor whatever um I, f- I get that experience from watching movies, and I'm always I'm big in context. I like to look for context and try to understand what the person making it or producing it was trying to get across. Um, and and kind of to that point, right? If you have a large group of people that like a movie or a painting or music, uh, and I'm with you, I tend to want to. Ha- I have a tendency to go that direction too. Like by nature, it's mediocre, right? But I have to add a, like an asterisk to that, a caveat. If you as an individual have a more diverse palette, a m- more honed skill at being able to extrapolate meaning from, from something you're watching as far as pertaining to cinema or music that other people just aren't educated with. And I think music might be the, a hunch tells me music might be the best reference for this. There are things in music, subtle implements that someone who is trained in and knows how to play an instrument will hear subtle nuance in the way an, uh, 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 a chord is played or, or a certain set of uh, you know uh, notes is played, and it'll define one musician from another, the way they get through that, right? Mm-hmm. And so they have a different level of appreciation, whereas... Uh, somebody who I, I instantly might be snotty to, who just doesn't know what the fuck they're listening to, <laughs> might be like, oh, man, I love this. I need to t- I almost went into Southern accent, by the way. That's always my default. Yeah, I see, I see that. <laughs> my like default, default. Yeah. is Southern, and that's totally biased. i got to own it. But, I, I mean, they come in, and they, they want to share it with their friends for maybe the most simple reason that they can enjoy it. But you as a person might be getting more out of it. And, th- and they may never get that. This discussion's making me a better person. You know, Thanks. I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, Mitch. I'm glad you know what my goals are. No, it's, it's, it's cool. fantastic. Because, I mean, I, I, I admit to that. It's something that I struggle with. I admit it freely, and I I've talked with it with my friends. And, and uh, like, I have another friend. You know Gavin. Mm-hmm. He's also very zen. And whenever, like, something comes up with that, just, like, the look of amusement. Like, how can you let that bother you at all? Like, he's so at ease with it. But it, it always, it kind of just twists me the wrong way sometimes. But you're right. Like, someone might be able to enjoy the same cheeseburger but 
the the person, you know, it, it's got like a different level if you really tasting uh, hints of red pepper. Exactly. See, so it doesn't make it any worse. And I should learn to be a better person and be able to still appreciate it and let the people who aren't who are enjoying it for the simple reason. Let I have to it. say, there's a possibility that maybe we're finding a little bit of middle ground here, and we're making our, our you know, our bullshit silver lined, right? Like, cause, <laughs> I mean, in, in some sense, I kind of agree with you still, even though I've said, hey, they hey, might man, not appreciate it appreciate. the same way. And I, I will even admit, you're still like, a smarter person. I'm not an expert, <laughs> yeah, and I'm not no, saying no. that I'm an expert. Thing. I'm just saying, like, for our no, I, stuff, I have a tendency, I have a tendency right. to no, see, think that you. same I'm thing at times, you know, like. There are certain movies people are like, oh my god, that movie is so great, and I'm like, yeah, that movie is stupid. <laughs> like the humor in it was insipid. I don't know what you're thinking. What I like, seriously, I'm like, there's no no redeeming qualities about the human race. We're all gonna die horrible flaming death because we've gotten so stupid <laughs> that we can we have fallen to, to this. The Church of Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> the Church of church, Mormon. It's not even Church of Mormon. It's Church of Mike because uh, most most LDS Goodness. people can't can't put up with me. Goodness. So uh, and that's a totally different conversation for another time Mitch and I will have to have yeah. but uh, uh, the thing you got to keep in mind too is that yes I'm very opinionated so I do have a tendency to think that you know I'm like oh if all, all these people like this then they're stupid however I also have to realize that you know we're all different people yeah, that, no, no. I'm, I'm with you there. What does different that mean levels. if you think all the different people are stupid? And I think I think it means <laughs> – what it means is that I believe that it's I should be – It's kind of an interesting message. I just believe we're all different. We're all different. <laughs> and all of you but you're all stupid. Are so dumb. No, uh, I just believe that I should be so king of the world. Dumb. No, we know you think that. It's true. It's, it's true. King. If I were king of the world – Yes. You don't want the responsibility of being. Oh my God! Yes, I do. No. I would told. I would make an awesome king. No. Would you rather world. be king of the world, or would you just rather be king of your world, like in a cabin far away where you were never ever bothered wait, wait, by anyone else? Wait, am again? I not king of my world? No, Ma- a man uh, is king of your world. <laughs> <laughs> am I not king of the? Wait, the wait, answers in the question. It's a, it's a shared. It's a shared. Uh, ruling. Oh, we're oh, a ruling family. Oh, that's that's what it is. That's interesting, Mike. Yeah. That's, Tell us how you achieved such balance. Uh, I was like, woman, this is the way it's going to be. <laughs> I hope she never listens to this. Do you want to sit in on the editing process? Yes, this, I would. Do you want to sit around? in on the editing process? And uh, <laughs> yes. It was uh, great fun because I was able to, you know, we were talking last time after we were done. We were sitting out front and we were like, who, who do you think got the most t- t- talk time? And you immediately was were Charlie, like, Charlie, absolutely not. It was absolutely you. What? It was you. No. And Charlie called that too. No, absolutely. I had to cut you out oh, so much. Oh. Wow. No, no, I'm Ow, just that hurts, man. That hurts. <laughs> no, I didn't. But it's, <laughs> it is funny, though. I, the, the editing process. I is think funny. I should be king. I did not talk that much. That's right. I don't know where that came king from. They world. obviously have some type of magic box that makes it sound like me. I, I just love the order that you say that you're like, you know, you're like, I think we're all different. I think most of those different people are dumb. And just for the record, I'm opinionated. Well, I like the fact <laughs> I like I like that Charlie can put words into my mouth. Yeah. It's not exactly what I said. Speaking of nuance, <laughs> um, well, I have a question about uh, family and sure. uh, like in- influence on family. Like when you're a child, when you're young and you're growing up, and you're like, you, I don't, and again, this may not apply around this. So this is for me. Sure. Growing up and, and uh, looking up to uncles, aunts. You know, the people around you who are making like an impact, like even your parents, at some point you realize they're all humans and fallible also. And, and I think you go through like a, a, a path that leads you to, um, I don't know, maybe understanding them better and maybe hearing these stories. And as an adult, 
it kind of uh well, I, I kind of want to give up on that. Line. Well, no, no, that's, that's, I, I think I can kind—I of, <laughs> no, kind of no, understand. I think, I think where you're going, we're going, 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 coming from. I mean, we want to uh, hear these stories, and, I, and we want to talk to them. Why? Well, I, I was going to say, like, so, you know, we talked about last time. Charlie kind of grew up without his father uh, being present in his life. I kind of, um, I, I did. He totally did. Uh, you and I were very fortunate in that we had our fathers. Um, my father and I—I I remember from a young age—I used to get up in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep and I would hear my father out in the living room quite often uh, listening to music. So I would go out and we would be, we would sit up and we would talk until, you know, late at night. And through those conversations with my father, I think I came to realize that, you know, he, he is, like you said, you said, your father's your hero. He's my father's my hero. I, for all of his fantastic qualities that he has, he's not perfect. And this is something that he never he never tried to be perfect. He never tried to present to me a facade as though he was perfect. He let me see him in a completely human manner with all of his, uh, you know, his uh, shortcomings and also all of his strengths. And I think that's true of any of us. We all have shortcomings. We all have strengths. Um, and, And the question is, what do you let, you know, take over your life? So I think for me, that was probably one of the best examples I could ever have uh, growing up was seeing my father and talking to him and those conversations, many conversations we had late into the evening. Um, and, you know, he, he shared a lot of personal things with me. So how, how, did he, how would you describe his approach at exposing his peccadilloes and his shortcomings to you? Because you... You made a, an emphasis on, on saying that he was very open and honest about his shortcomings and nobody being perfect. So give me an example of when you first knew that your hero wasn't perfect and was human. I mean, and, I, and, I, and did you have a moment where you had trouble digesting that? You know, I don't know, you, that, I don't know that I ever know, had. Did you instantly sort of grant him that forgiveness and you had a mature understanding of it? Uh, innately or did you have trouble with that I think I actually came came by it innately I don't think that I ever had uh, a moment where I can pinpoint and say oh oh that's the moment where I realized he wasn't perfect but one of the things that my father never shied away from with me was sharing with me the fact that he suffers from depression and that was something that we used to talk about uh, quite often when I get up at night and we'd, we'd be talking he would talk about the fact that he does have depression, how it affects him, how he tries to deal with it. And, you know, granted, we moved to the White Mountains of Arizona when I was young. I think I was about eight years old at the time. We moved to a small town where, you know, if, if you want to if you want to point at something and say, OK, that's that's stereotypical. You can point at the small town I lived in. It was stereotypical in that a lot of people in the town were related to each other you know, cousins <laughs> family and if you moved to that town you were an outsider yeah. you didn't belong because you weren't family so there was that feeling going on did you and feel so, more that way because you were brown i didn't feel it much at all <laughs> looking back on some of my experiences i can pinpoint sometimes when yeah people probably called out the fact that i was brown and i didn't i know, didn't think about yeah it. that's the thing i'm curious but, to know yeah. when mike became self-aware 
that he was brown. That's, yeah. You know what? That is I, a good question. I, I still, you know I, mean? like, I I'm honestly, not sure that so Mike had that I guess we should later in life. Like, <laughs> I, I honestly he didn't. Or maybe have he's that. having it right now. I, I, I yes, this is an epiphany for me right at this very moment in time. Anybody listening, this is it right here. Uh, this is my epiphany. Apparently, I'm brown. I, I still struggle with that. Actually, at this, even to this day, I struggle with the uh, the idea that I am not white, because my family's white. I don't even I'm, know where this is going. Like, well, no, no. What? Well, I, I, this I, I, Charlie's I the one that brought it up. I okay. didn't bring it up. You no, did. No, I asked a question about when what you felt he did that you knew he was exposing his shortcomings. And well, it was just like I said. It was there was no there was no moment that I can pinpoint. Okay. It's just okay. like it, I came by curious. it innately. Just by conversation. Um, just through mm. conversation, like years of conversation. You know, I realized he wasn't perfect. So, but uh, the thing I did realize too, I, yeah, okay. I, I would just like to point this out is like one of the things I, I realized that he he taught me at an early age was that you need to learn to see things from other people's perspectives. He he would always point out that like you know even though he might be angry at somebody, he would always follow that up with, well, you know I might not understand exactly where they're coming from. Maybe they've got something going on in their life that I don't realize. Mm. And he would try and like look at things from other angles. You know, even though he might be angry, he would still try and see the other person's perspective. And he still does that to this day. Okay. Like, I'll talk to him about I, things I, I, and he, he I feels his... for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to comment about you asking where this was going. And I want to go back to where you started with uh, talking about when you find out that your, your parents or your heroes might be flawed. But before that, I want to ask you this. Um, OK, so I get that you got it. You got from your father that innately you accepted that he was flawed and you understood that he was human. At this point in your life as a grown man, looking back at your upbringing as a whole, knowing your father now, what is one thing, if there is one, one tenant that you didn't agree with then and you don't agree with now that he would would live by or maybe try to teach you was the right way to do things? Or do you feel like you completely subscribe to his methodology and approach to life? You know, I, I would have to say that I probably uh, completely subscribe to his methodolo- methodology, even though I perhaps don't follow it myself. One of the things being is that uh, I'm I a, you guys, sure I understand that you guys, you, you guys know me, right? Subscribe to it, but you don't necessarily follow. No, no, I, I subscribe to it. I, I know what he was trying to teach me, um, but I don't follow it at all times. Like, for instance, my father was. What he, inspires you not to follow it? Uh, the fact that I'm an opinionated asshole. But you have your own opinion. So there are things that you don't agree with him about. If you, So that's what I'm asking. If there's something that you don't agree with him about, what would it be that causes you to... No, I, I would still say he's probably opinion. he's probably right. Okay. Okay. As, uh, okay. That, and that's the thing, is that even though he's right, I'm, I'm just like, you know, like I, as I said, he, he would always try and see things from other people's perspectives. Okay. And that's one of the things well, that I, like I have I have difficulty doing. I mean, he's, a, he's a nice guy. Yeah, I, mean, I, I have difficulty doing that sometimes because I'm like, no, 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 they're just dumb. So so let me backtrack then and try to add my own two cents uh, because I think I understand what you're saying. And, and when I hear stories like this now, mm-hmm. um, for me to tell you that you're lucky, you feel lucky already because you're comparing it to stories you know. But... So I tell you lucky that you're lucky from a different perspective. And Mitch, it has a lot to do with what you were, I think, touching on. Ironically, right after talking about Fight Club, 
you're talking about you know heroes and flaws, <laughs> and it's like our fathers are models for God. If our fathers don't care about us, what does that tell you about God? Right? That was right out of the movie. Anyway, for me per- personally, um, I had a really rough childhood and a really uh, filled with a lot of trauma and a lot of blunt early life. Um, how do I think about this? It's not confrontation, but absolutely undeniable reality that your father is a monster you know somebody that's violent and as a child you understand that as best you can but it's clear that your innocence is compromised you're not growing up in that environment of a dad who might be able to tell you how he's flawed but it's not causing you pain and he might be able to tell you that he's human but he's not so human that he's so damaged that he's causing pain to other people that you care about, that you're witnessing. And I think kind of pertaining to what you were touching on initially in that like seven words you said, Mitch, um, I think I can answer that question from a unique perspective because I did deal with a lot of what I refer to as an identity crisis uh, as a young kid and into my adolescence because I felt... Like I, I was conflating different thoughts of uh, heredity and, you know, like you get your dad's smile, you know, you when you're a kid that comes from somebody who's got addiction issues and abusive issues, there's a part of your brain that thinks, well, I, I inherited that. That's going to be me too. And it can cause a lot of things to be confusing and it changes the way that you value certain things about life. And now, was that was that scary for you as a child? Like thinking those know, thoughts that you were looking into your future. You know, it was interesting. I think it did. It definitely scared me. I think um, it presented itself very old world fairy tale, sort of the stone, chosen one. You know, we were talking about the Matrix earlier. That's an old theme, the chosen one story. I mean, new format, but. You know, that's sword in the stone in a different context and being very imaginative with it and, and existential. Okay. But uh, yeah, I, I think as a, for me, it was unique because my father was not the father of my siblings. So I have two sisters and a brother that are related by my mother, and I'm the only son of the, the husband that came along and abused all of them. And so there was a, there was a weird interaction between me and them. Because in a way, I was regarded from birth because I was bloodline, as weird as that sounds, right? So I'm Charles E. Langley Jr. That was Charles E. Langley Sr. And everybody else was not his kid. You see what I mean? Now, what's if I can if I can just yeah, ask, ask real quick? Whatever. What's what's the age it. difference between you and your older siblings? My sister, who is closest to me, is ten years older than me. My other siblings are 14 and 15 years older than me respectively give or take okay so that that makes a difference too i think yeah. like position family position for one sure uh the gap in age yeah i think mitch and i are All both play big mitch elements. is the oldest in his family and i'm the oldest in my family yeah oh, i mean i'm just saying to your point though mitch um i think when you're talking about identity crisis and you're talking about uh, we live in a culture that really tries to, it values and cherishes innocence in children. 
And I think innocence in children is a real fundamental part of the way that they plan out the growth of a child in America when it comes from a Christian perspective. Mom and dad are supposed to be home. Mom and dad are supposed to be on the job watching over the kids and what they watch and what they do. Um, I think it's not just the vacuum of that. It's those personality traits that are present. And a lot of times kids in those situations will display anger traits that reinforce the fears that you're going to be doomed to become that person because you may burst out because you don't know how to express yourself. And then somebody goes, oh, you know what? You're you're pissed off and you're being angry and violent. You're just like your dad. Well, is that because you've never been shown how to react in those situations? Of course, there's a lot of that there. I, I was just trying to point out that I do think there's some merit to how that affects someone's personal um exploration into who and what they are when they have someone that clearly has demonstrated tendencies that are cruel and that hurt people that you care about and you're that person's kid you really do have a sense of uh well you don't really you don't know what to think of yourself you don't know whether you're doomed to become that person you don't know um how other people take you because you're a constant reminder and that's what part of my experience was, is I would show up as a kid, just trying to be a kid, and people would uh, say, oh, oh, well, you know what, you remember that? They would instantly talk about my dad and something that he did, and that would bring up a lot of raw emotions. So if you can imagine, there was a consistent representation that people would be getting upset when I showed up. And I, I had a hard time as a 10-year-old separating that that was about my father and didn't have anything to do with me per se and so that's really difficult for somebody to have to mitigate whether it's somebody you trust and care about like for me that was my sister that i'm closest to in age even if she sat down in front of me and said oh you you don't need to think that way you know Mm -hmm. that's not what's going on well the hard part of that too would be the fact that she doesn't really know how to relate to that experience because it's not her experience well it sounds like you had people looking for traits of your father in you and if you look hard enough, sometimes you can find things, you know, and, and say, oh, well, that's his father. No, I think I think it was simple. I mean, I really think it was something like we were talking about before we got on the podcast. I think it's a kid looks like his dad or smiles like his dad or mm-hmm. something. And, and I think um, when you really start exploring into those situations, and maybe I can't speak broadly, I'm not a professional, but when it comes to talking about my mother and my sisters, how they felt about my father, the reason they were so upset and betrayed was because of the deep affection and connection and hope they had to him initially. So his meteoric uh, fall from grace, so to speak, was interesting because he did great things to help people, but he did great in sort of the Alexander the Great term of the word, use of the word. He did great things that hurt people and caused a permanent change on them and effect. So, you know, as far as talking about um, if the question is, what does some a kid think when they discover flaws in their parents and how does it affect who they are? I really have a lot of personal experience with that, um, not only from my father, but because of we could explore a lot of why I am the way I am. But because of my questioning nature and because of me wanting to uh, always break any person down to their their crudest human form, you know, and and very willing to accept that crude human form, but always wanted to break away the the poise and the fabrication that people put forth. 
uh, in front of you. Um, you know, that that's something I think I went through um, early on. And I, I was on a mission to discover my mother's humanity and that she wasn't this innocent, you know, angelic creature that was harmed. She also had her own issues where she played a contributing role, even though those kind of, at times people love to play the victim. I mean, obviously, um, you know, if somebody's abusing you, they're the worst person in the room. But the person who's antagonizing that person is not an incredible person either. They're definitely better than the abuser. But mm -hmm. when you start cataloging those flaws in your mother and in your father and you start realizing um, and, and sort of uh, almost like an archaeologist, you're revealing what actually happened the very non-glorified, non-dramatic, very real-world gritty story of how things got from point A to point B. Uh, early on, before I was really into my adolescence, I had a real clear view of what I felt was important and not important. And, and it did affect my how I dealt with high school, how I dealt with other kids, how I, and, and kind of contributing to this point of view, as weird as this is to come full circle back to uh, talking about if everybody likes something that's mediocre. It, it did set me up in that position because at many times I would find myself as a 14-year-old who had more life experience when it comes to being um, metaphorically punched in the face by life than your peers. Then when your peers are all giggly and talking about homecoming <coughs> or talking about the newest music out you're you do find yourself in a position of looking around you and saying you fucking idiots don't know you know or you you feel elite because you've survived something and that 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 elitism i think changes over a lifetime where you start realizing that it's not a question of if but when life punches you in the face and then you start um started discovering and appreciating so humanity. so you started so, adulting at an early age i think it puts in perspective why i don't care about being beholden to those rules as an adult mm -hmm. is because i don't think they mean shit and that has a lot to do with where my my childhood started it's all subscription and i'm not a fan of subscribing to things mm -hmm. you know and so i like to find and if if what i like genuinely happens to fit into that mold everybody's happy <laughs> you know but it's it's never gonna be oh well, you should do that because that's what whatever title you want to fill you know a, a successful adult mm -hmm. you know whatever it is uh you know i don't get that i i think it's all uh from my life experience it doesn't really mean anything for brando a good friend of ours who is not here to defend himself uh, for Brando, oh, that's fun. Let's pick the, on friends who aren't here to defend I'm not, I'm not picking on him. I'm just using it as an example. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, for him, if a 40 year old man walks into his house after a hard day of work, takes off his clothes and throws his clothes in the hamper, gets in the shower, and then gets out and puts on a robe, that's a proper adult. If somebody comes into the house, same 40 year old man, takes off all of his clothes, throws them on the ground in front of the washer, takes a shower, gets out, puts on a pair of boxers and walks around with nothing but boxers on, that guy's a juvenile needs to grow the fuck up. That's Brando's <laughs> world. Okay, so his world is all, it's so, it's so fine-tuned down to these certain guidelines that have to be fulfilled for you to feel like you're a full-fledged, fill-in-the-blank. If you're from the Midwest you're or the South, you're going to say a full-fledged grown-up, right? 
if you're a liberal, you'll say adult. You know, it's responsible <laughs> adult. But you know that that I think is at the heart of what I'm saying. I think if you have a kid that's grown up in a structured environment that's healthy and normal by all regular standards, and they get out into their life and they repeat that situation, things are calm and predictable and good for them. And nobody's judging them. I don't judge them like um, cruelly or anything. Good for them. Uh, but the reality is, pertaining to a big shift in divorce rates in the mid-1900s, is a lot of kids from divorce get out there and keep repeating the problem. And it leaves us with this cyclical situation where you have a bunch of young kids in the 80s who grew up with single moms or stepdads who, or maybe multiple stepdads, and they've seen the institution of marriage result in a lot of misery for somebody they care about, namely their mother, maybe their sisters. Then they go out there, they don't have a good representation of how their father would deal with complex duress in their life. So they have no representation. And I believe they enter the world with an inferiority complex about whether they could be what the world wants of them, to be a strong, independent, providing judeo-christian man you know um i don't think that there are people i think that approach that with some insecurity and uh, i think that's where you end up nowadays uh, to bring us completely full circle uh back to where people don't want to talk to their family anymore because they're totally disconnected from generations of this kind of repetitive activity and uh and kids growing up with that void and so they're trying to grab on to different pieces of identity that appeal to them and I think that's where you get uh, a lot of confusion about people not knowing their origins and where they come from you know for me that's how it played out for me there's a lot of details there I can add in but uh, knowing your father is a bad person and it took me 20 years and I was well into my adult life before I started accepting that he did good things too mm -hmm. you know I was really focused on the bad and very and very worried that I was sort of doomed to repeat those things. So would you say that for you, <clears throat> the epiphany was more that your father wasn't necessarily all bad? No, I think the epiphany came early because um, for me, just to give some people some guidelines, um, my mother and my father got divorced when I was seven. And then I didn't really see him, but I saw him once when I was 13 for like a week and then I didn't see him again until I was 19 and I went and sought him out and found where he was living and called him from a Holiday Inn and said I'm 10 miles from you come to the Holiday Inn you know and wanted to confront him and I had a lot of grandiose ideas of how this whole thing was gonna go down and he walked into the room and I was completely uh totally disarmed i was five years old instantly i had no courage no all the anger and angst that was in me was just instantly evaporated when my daddy was there and uh and i really had no no uh i was not a man i was not able to stand up and and had fulfill this played out theatrical uh, interaction that I expected. So you you weren't the Lifetime movie. No, uh, no, okay. I was in a vulnerable uh, mess, and uh, and it was a long process of getting to know him. Uh, so um, in between that period of time, uh, I was really, I was already asking a lot of questions, existential questions, at an early age for good reason. 
Um, and, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11, I was reading about different religions trying to figure out how to make sense of God. And my mother's a very scared Catholic. So, you know, she didn't really have a whole lot of answers. She's not that kind of intellectual. And um, so, you know, that that epiphany came really in starting to realize that some of the narrative that I was receiving from different family members was uh, almost like collusion. It wasn't collusion. It wasn't orchestrated. But everybody was very angry at him. Everybody was very hurt at him. So there was a particular narrative I was getting about it. The epiphany for me was when I realized that those stories were being emphasized as if they were tall tales, you know, like Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. I mean, I had this image of the man as as uh, fill in the blank Kaiser Soze or darkness from the movie Legend. You know, like I this was the devil with the big horns and I was the, you know, son of that creature and all those different um, terrible tendencies existed in me, too. So you can imagine if I got in a fight at school where I was just a kid with a single mom who had his own anxieties and I get into a fight and I'm fighting for a different reason, right? That kid across from me is like, I'm going to punch him in the nose. And I'm like, I'm going to rip your throat out. You know, like, I'm, I'm like, going to cut the horn off the last unicorn. In the yeah, world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that would be very scary for kids. And it was for me because I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, so I, I really think the, the epiphanies came from different levels as I got older. And then once I got to my father, I think the epiphany, the big epiphany was that there were a lot of things that I was a lot like him that were not bad at all. Mm-hmm. And that that he was vulnerable and flawed and totally human. And he was my first experience at seeing the corrosive nature of audacity because he had carried that through his life his his sort of mentality of uh, I can't do wrong I'm going to go out and be a big swinger I'm going to make money you know I think that in the end he really was in a place where he was trying to warn me like this is what I know now don't do these things don't let your big head get in the way don't let your charisma lead you to these bad ends kind of thing and he saved me so Look, at the so at the end so at the end then he was a father to you and yeah still, in some ways instilled in instilled some, some some knowledge yes. in you yeah in, in many ways at the end uh we had he gave me a lot of uh you know he was my google maps through life. <laughs> you know? he was like if you go this way you're going to turn into an adulterating uh piece of shit if you go this way you're going to turn into this and and you know i I really took what he said with a lot of value and watched myself for that reason. It's been a key to a lot of fundamental decisions I've made about my life. Nice. Well, I I get to say it's an interesting perspective because, you know, like I said, Mitch and I both grew up with our fathers. Um, You know, Charlie, you didn't have him in your life, your father in your life. Uh, Well, as a young young child, he did do extraordinarily brutal things. So Mm -hmm. as far as like, that's why your question appealed to me when you were saying when you know you're your parents are flawed and only human for mm-hmm. me that presented itself in the form of watching my father beat my mother or watching my father beat my sister or mm-hmm. watch my sister have to defend herself against a man who was clearly drunk clearly had depressed and completely just in a mode of self-destruction mm-hmm. and 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 in, and at seven you know in a year where he uh, unintentionally but 
quite dismissively ran over my dog. I got kidnapped that year when I was seven years old. And that was the same year that my father flips out, beats the shit out of my sister and puts a 357 Magnum to my head. And so all this is seven. By the time I'm eight and there's the claymation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer coming on and every giggly fucking kid is out there going, I can't wait for Christmas. I'm going to get, I'm just like, you fucking animals. You know, like, <laughs> at that age, I'm thinking yeah. to myself, like, you don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and it does change how you look. I'm not defending that. I'm not saying that was the right way. But when you are a kid who survives some shit and your life has punched you in the face, you have a, your innocence isn't there. And mm-hmm. you, you look at the people around you are innocent. You only either look at them as annoying or you, for me personally, I took on a defensive role to people that for some reason I felt protective over. And my, my, one of my greatest friends in the whole world is a little younger than me, Pete. Peter Banzath, uh, I probably shouldn't be laying names in this, but Peter, uh, Peter, you know, his brother is somebody that I was friends with in elementary school and in junior high, and he was murdered when we were freshmen in high school. And for some reason, Pete was this kind of smart, innocent kid and I just liked him and I got along. He was a good friend of mine, but I felt very protective over Pete, you know? And so if, if, if they were, when we played lacrosse together, you know, I, I almost felt like a almost older brother way about Pete in a weird way. And, and he just seems, um, I'm not also educated enough in psychology to properly formulate the questions that I have, like you feeling protective over this friend. To me, in my ignorance, my naivete sounds perfectly natural. It sounds to me sure. like it's Thank completely you. without any kind of – it needs no uh, validation or explanation. To me, that sounds like the exact response of a good human being well, because of what you'd gone through already. And, and it made me uh, – like I, I can tell you as a, as a side note and Mike can uh, – well, he'll vouch for it when he gets back – but basically, that's where like Mike and good friends of mine that might call me tricky when it's talking we're talking about virtual fighter or something. Tricky. Yeah, like there are plenty of times where okay, so virtual fighter is a fighting game. It's very skill based, um, but you can set it up in terms of rounds and who wins the most rounds out of X five, sure. seven, ten, whatever. So there are times when, uh, plenty of times when I'll be playing somebody and they're up four rounds to one. And then I'll come back and run straight through and win 5-4. These are moments when Mike and Brando and other people will say, oh, you're long con hustle. Long con hustle. And they think I set it up that way. They think it's totally orchestrated and that I'm, I'm fucking with them. That I want them to get confident. Oh, he is the king of the long con hustle. Yeah. And that yeah, they're going to cut, you know, that well, right like when this. they think like they've this. got me, I'm going to just come in and, and smack them down. And He'll I, let you win a game or two at Virtual Fighter. To <laughs> and think that's that why awesome. I don't play him. Because so, I had no intention of ever falling victim you, to that. You can play me because I, I don't do that. do that. Well, that's because I can beat you. Uh, you wish. <laughs> well, so this is, I think, when you are, um, so, you know, I am a short kid who I. Very short, four foot nothing. <laughs> I never felt, but I, I'm, I'm lucky in the fact that I've always been um, athletically capable. So I've, com- I've always felt like I just wanted to be able to feel like I could compete. 
and there's very few times in my life I felt like I couldn't compete. So I never had that inferiority complex. But what I did have because of my experiences with my father was, uh, and this comes from my sister as well, I like to pick on the bully. <laughs> and I like to out The bully of the bullies. Yeah, whoever it is. And I like to outwit them, and I like to outsmart them, and I like to sort of be the court gesture who you didn't know was as good at that other thing. You know, That was really the role I played in high school. If there was a tough, big kid who always was outspoken, pushing people around, I wanted to embarrass the shit out of that kid because <laughs> I was the small kid, and the small kid doesn't know how to fight. The small kid doesn't know martial arts that he spent five days a week for eight years driving his brain into. Those kids don't know anything. He's just a small, goofy class clown. I'm going to beat him up. And I wanted to just humiliate those guys. And it came from that feeling of wanting to humiliate my father. I truly believe that. Um, I think that I wanted to find the bully and put him in his place. And whether that was with words, which I wanted to cultivate that skill, or whether that was physically. And I got myself in a lot of trouble because of that, because I happened to be able to take a beating, and I took some beatings, and I happened to be able to be good enough to dish some out where some of these big bullies got at least put in their place. It wasn't cinematic and movie-like where music played and I was the, you know, <laughs> no, no, no retreat, not a no scratch surrender. on me. Now, I mean, but there were times where I just wanted them to know, I don't give a shit about winning. I'm going to put lick on you, three or four licks on you. I may take some too, but fuck you. you know. <laughs> and, that was, and that was really my whole mantra was to try to make it clear that I wasn't afraid of that shit. And that's the reputation that carried with me until I got really happy with everybody like sophomore year. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I just really like the dichotomy. He's, he could not only kick your ass, but he could also talk circles around you. If that day he didn't happen to be in the mood to do some ass kicking, or he could know, do like some no verbal, ass verbal ass kicking. I did have my there ass kicking. There were times when he was here to chew, at, uh, chew some bubble gum, kick some ass, yeah. and he was all out of bubble gum. Yeah, and it's sometimes right. you just got to do the ass some kicking. Some people are more aggressive. You, you and Rowdy Roddy Piper. I, I, just, I just think of this of a distinction. I, if I had to say I felt lucky about anything, I feel lucky that my family or whatever it is about my upbringing that led me not to feel like I had some sort of um, inferiority or less than complex about my height, I never did. And, and so if, if, if whether it was um, whatever it was, uh, I competed in wrestling, I competed in things that gave me confidence that uh, whenever I was talking to anybody, I never felt a need to prove something or go out of my way I was always very comfortable and casual. It was always the tough kids that were picking on people. I'd feel like I wanted to antagonize. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, that was a that was a lot of a lot of conflict. I never had a problem with my height until later in life. Like when I was when I was younger, it never dawned on me, and I was always too busy doing other things. But then when I came to the big city, oh. So at that point, something is, is the big city Tucson. The big city is Tucson. Okay. Yeah, the dirty tea. <laughs> yes, that was covered also. <laughs> yes, we covered yeah. that. Yeah, we covered that. Yeah, graduation that's, class. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's well. I mean, for for I grew up in a pretty big city, uh, Dallas Fort Worth area, and and the thing I always felt clearly it meant a lot more to other people than it did to me. Mm. I it, agree. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and so and well, I it meant a little bit to me with like the the ladies. Because sure, there, there was like there are a few like girls that were too tall, and when I say too tall, I mean they just it was for harder them. to for, for them, them yes, for them possibly. Yes. But you know the, the the charm and the words 
got a, a lot further than you would think, or maybe not you would think, because you're you know, well, familiar. So well, this mic don't Mitch, Mitch too has no, the band okay. thing going on. You know, the band thing didn't hurt. He 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 is a musician. Plays the guitar, and uh, you know he he's done that for a long time. I mean, that's definitely chicks like the bad boy. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think yeah, he's yeah. right. He's touching onto something that I'm familiar with because I remember not seeing a girl's height and just liking her and being infatuated with her and being like, you know what? I'm just going to tell her. I feel this <laughs> way. Man, you're great. I just want to spend time with you. And I, I have been in more than one situation where the woman felt, a girl felt the same way but the but, height was just yeah no truly and I'm not gonna go so far as to say those shallow bitches <laughs> yeah he's, don't don't say that you'll be the bigger man that. I'm not yeah so. you'll be the bigger man no but I mean as I mean we're talking about girls that are growing into adults as well right, but that, right. That a lot of times they had an image they wanted to keep and it was something that caused them hesitation if not the emphasis yeah. to want to say that just doesn't look right to me. You and know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to anybody and say that I'm tall because I'm not. I'm a little bit taller than you guys. It was covered. Guys, but it was covered. You're yeah, you're not. You don't got so many. I'm not tall. Um, not and, and all the all the guys I hung out with in high school, like my closest friends, all of them were over six foot. All right, but did you have a friend of yours that was shorter than you in high school? No, Nobody. I did not. You were the short Nobody. I was the short man in the group. Okay, so you so let me put it this way: imagine you did have Mitch or I around. Mm-hmm. So you'd be like, everybody was taller than me, except except Mitch. for Mitch, yeah, <laughs> or, or Charlie. So that, that's the thing, right? That's the way people, and there and there is a weird emphasis about it, um, where kids. I mean, you have a kid that's fourteen and six foot tall. Mm-hmm. That dude thinks he's got the biggest dick in the world. In his mind, he's like, oh, I'm six foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> Look at these other little shits. I, I wouldn't know not being over six foot myself. <laughs> but my point, you're right. You hit my point though. Yeah. And so that was that was always the thing. I mean, especially if you competed in sports, and I think you you mm. definitely wrestled with guys that were smaller than you. Yeah. Tell me they didn't come in two speeds. They came in guy who didn't give a shit. He was that small. He was there to compete, mm-hmm. and guy who could not take losing to a bigger man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Couldn't take it. No, no, and, and angry, me- pissed at the world, angry at God, you mm-hmm. know, full of rage. That guy, I, I, I so want to pull that guy's short man card. No, there was there was <laughs> there was a guy like there was a guy like that in my high school. Uh, I don't remember his name, but we called him Smurf. See, I think and, you have to own that. And shit. You know what? He, he probably did. And and I was with him in PE and in weightlifting, and he would he he could put up some weight. You know, he could put up some weight. He was a little guy, but he could put up some weight. And uh, and he was he was probably tougher than I was. I don't know for sure. I think but it's he would we would play we would play self, in self esteem. It, it could be self esteem. Um, maybe he just didn't give a shit. I don't know. You know, maybe he just didn't care. But he he used to play the role of like okay, so he we called him Smurf. Sure. And he had a friend of his who was taller than I was. I think this guy was over six foot also. So it was kind of funny. It was almost like the scene from like like a Christmas story. You know where you've got the big tall kid and the little guy, sure. Grover Dill. Wow. So he's like Grover Dill. Okay, um, we got a reference of what this is. Okay, Christmas Story is a classic movie. Classic. We can't really think that everybody has seen this movie, but if you what what? I'm just telling you. No, I'm thinking everybody has seen this movie. There are plenty of people between the ages of 15 and 30 that have never seen. Well, Christmas then their story. parents have done them a disservice. Maybe. I'm American, just saying those anti-American bastards. That's true. It's true. So Christmas Story is uh, an incredible movie and is really a classic. I won't say cult classic because everybody's seen it. 
holiday regular, and if you can, it's probably on Netflix. Uh, you should watch it so you can get the reference. Or that we're talking TNT, about. if this is still a thing years from now. That but like, it's you just know, a, every yeah, it, it every shows every Christmas November. and it's a peekaboo into the uh, mundane existence of 1940s and 50s America. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, well, so so Smurf. Yeah, we're we're talking about the the uh, Christmas story. He movie. was making a reference um, to Christmas because we had a guy in my high school named Smurf. Well, you don't have to retell the story. I'll just listen back at it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Smurf. <laughs> <laughs> so Smurf. Smurf. Uh, his friend, and I don't remember his friend's name either because they were both upperclassmen, uh, but his friend would be like, Smurf, get him. And Smurf would just go after someone. I mean, he was a little, he was shorter than you guys. Um, and, and, wow, but he was. I think we're really short. I, I want to do a biography. Really piece. I want to do like a podcast Mitch, biography. He's shorter than you. It's shorter than me. That's right. Unbelievable. It's like nobody's shorter. I've right? never that even can't be. No. How does uh, that work? But, but it was just funny because like this we'd, be, how we'd be in weightlifting. And, and, you know, we were playing, I don't know what you call it, but it was like basketball with no rules. You grab the ball and, like, you could run with it and you didn't have to dribble and you try and make a basket and that's you not tackle anything. people and stuff. That's, there's not no, that's a that. thing. That's it's a th- I don't know what it's called, but it's a thing. Uh, murder? No, not murder ball. Um, anyway. Murder ball? Mike. I don't know. Anyway. Certainly not so, today's so Smurf, kids playing Smurf murder would, ball. Smurf would be out there on the court. I kind of like the story uh, of Smurf playing murder ball, though. Yeah. Like isn't, that that, isn't that better? <laughs> Smurf playing murder ball? It's a good imagery. Um. But yeah, Smurf would go after people because his friend would be like, "Smurf, get him!" And Smurf would go after him, and, and but he, like I said, he was he was pretty strong. He could put up some weight, put up more weight than I could in, in weightlifting. Um, I was pretty strong. I did, weight, I did weightlifting. I did a weight I training be, class. I the coach it. kept trying to get me to play football, and I was like, "Do you see the really? line here?" And I'm, I'm only here because I need to take a class. I'm gonna go play some rock and roll now. Good for you. You know what? <laughs> My coach you know did what? not let me. He told me I was too small to play halfback for the football team in high school, so I played lacrosse. I never even and went out. For we weren't football. quite so sophisticated as to have a lacrosse team. Yeah, well, we didn't have a lacrosse team. Well, there was there was you're football. Talking, you're talking there was big basketball. city. You're talking <laughs> yeah. big city. We're lacrosse. little. We're little city. We had basketball, football. Shit, no. Wrestling, baseball. I think someone kick your ass and said lacrosse. <laughs> there was, we didn't even have a soccer team. In the 90s, that response would have been fag. You ever have a <laughs> you ever have a case of the Mondays? That's It was like yeah. that kind of like, no, yeah. lacrosse. I believe you. Get your ass kicked I believe you. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you say something like that. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh. If you ever want to see where Mitch and I grew up, you got to watch the movie Varsity Blues. You know, I've never that seen was, that. No. Oh, you've never seen it? No. You should watch it. Shit, son. Uh, you are Because <laughs> my friend Jared and I grew up in, in, in the White Mountains there in Arizona, and uh, I made him watch that movie, and his first comment after watching it was like, oh, my God, it's like where we grew up. Because <laughs> it really was. It was all about football. Yeah. The football really players got away with murder. Well, I would, I would where we're at today. I, I would hate to generalize like that, but I, I do agree that perhaps people who've experienced some hardship uh, – ask these deep questions. Now, I'm not saying that people who haven't experienced the hardship don't, but I, I, I do think that there might be some truth to what you're saying there. Um, now, Mitch, I know you, uh, your father, I know he passed away a few years back and everything, um, but you got to have him throughout your adolescence. Now, I'm sure you learned some lessons from your father. <laughs> and you know we we talked about yeah. we talked about earlier like you know how was there a moment when you realized that he wasn't perfect and you you said that you've even said that he is your hero. Oh yeah, absolutely. In so many ways and in so many lights. Yeah. And okay. And so you know I expressed that my father is he's my hero too. I would say that. Um I have lots of heroes too though. Do you? How many heroes do you have? Two. <laughs> 
too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so me and your father. All right, thank you, Mitch. I appreciate it. Nice. That. Thanks for to steal my punchline. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But no, was there a point in your life when you realized that your father wasn't perfect, or did your father just come out and tell you that? Um. Wow. This is this has been a really interesting uh, sit down. I would say an interesting episode because, except for the fact that we've only really done this twice. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm hoping that we continue um, because it does it does open up a lot of a lot of memories opens up a lot of wounds all those kinds of things and it's, it's quite a conversation. Was there a moment I realized that he wasn't perfect? I think I always knew that. I think it was always something that was there. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm having a hard time being quite as frank as Charlie. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, um, well, I know, like you said, it might be like a fresh wound since your father passed away not too long yeah. ago. And uh, and even though I say not too long ago, it's it still, has been, been, been a little while. while. It has been a little while. And it's not that. It's not that. It's not It's not that um, that makes it difficult. Um, when you look up to somebody and everything that they do seems immeasurably beyond like your capability, it, it's it's the natural tendency is to of course idolize that and, and but by the same token there was a moment when my siblings and I were cowering behind a chair and he's got the belt like raised up you know and we're like ducking <laughs> what down did you do yeah, well, I was like fucking like standing there holding my brother and sister and we're like well not standing but crouched down and he dropped the belt and walked away because he had been abused by his father like punched and like not just like some quite beaten mm-hmm. and uh it was like the at the this moment where even later years much later he and i having conversations that he realized that he really wanted to stop that cycle you hear about that talk all the time you know it sounds oh, yeah. so like psycho babbly stop that cycle whatever but um that's hard that is a that takes a strength lot, that takes strength. a lot of willpower and a lot of ability to, um, that takes a lot of self soul searching. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a difficult task to want to change that because I do believe abuse is hereditary. And I do believe from my own family's experience that when you have, um, I'll give you a great example. My sister married, has kids, divorced her kids get married, have kids divorced. They don't have a set example of what it looks like to have to persevere through the difficulties of marriage. Mm-hmm. They've got no mm-hmm. reference point to turn to for somebody to say, you know what your problem is, is there's a breakdown in your interpersonal communication method. You know, there you're you're not able to communicate with your wife. So that that's that's incredible that your father was able to recognize that. Nobody points that out. It was uh, like him him talking to me later years about it was was it was clearly it was tough. It was tough for him to even talk about it and address it, and that that was a kind of a turning point for him. And I remember he saw you and saw himself when he was holding the belt up high like that. I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a good question too. You know, I, I don't I don't know if he said if he did, but my brother had like welts and like bleeding and like on his back and stuff. And I remember him asking my mother, like, mom, is this child abuse? Like, and this is like a, just yeah. a small child. How old was your brother at the time? He would have had to have been 
uh, let's see, he's younger than he's eight or nine, maybe. You know. Okay. So, but yeah, I I I always had an idea that he wasn't perfect. Sure. But right. I, you know that wasn't like a shock. But uh, still, there was no one else in my world, and to this day, even uh, that I would say. Well, I mean, I I went into length into that little, little talk, not at length, but yeah, he he made an, an indelible impact. He, I will never be able. I don't have anything else to say to that. I'm just gonna have a drink. So before I, <laughs> <laughs> look, the man, the that. man, we at his funeral, they had to open up the church. You've been into Mormon church before. They've got like the chapel, yeah. and then there's like behind that's the basketball court, <laughs> right? Exactly, because <laughs> that's the Mormon court. way. Yeah, you know, like they they opened that up, and the place just was filled, filled with so many people. And his life touched so many. And like there's you, I can't go anywhere where he has been mm-hmm. where someone doesn't know him. And it, it's kind of in this weird cool kind of you, like Good this strange you. like yeah, name dropping great. thing. It's like, oh, if you're anywhere in northern Arizona and I like go to some place where you're just like, oh, well, I'm George Proctor's kid. They they know they know who well, that so man is. That Let me ask, are you a junior also to. I'm not a junior. Um, no, no, don't you? Is that okay. testament to kind of what we're saying, though, about identity? I mean, you going someplace and hearing that about your father, doesn't that give you some this is a sense good of deepening identity or confidence in what you are, in, even if it's just singularly in your own perspective? Maybe, maybe, you know? uh, because, because it, I'm not his child. Ilk. But but you are but you are his but I child. Asked, I am his child. So it's right. actually an even different thing because you're dealing with the 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 possible curse of heredity. Shh, I'm not comparing either. I'm oh, no, no. The, the, oh no no the, no the no. reference factor of the tenants you were raised with is uh-huh. really, um, for lack of a better term, you're this man represents some for for lack of a better term institution. If he was an institution, and you're a product of that institution. And people are referencing that institution. This is why motherfuckers who graduated from Harvard are always like, I graduated from Harvard. Uh, <laughs> I'm part like, of a legacy. Yeah, you know, but that's my point, right? Legacy yeah. is a great word yeah. because it does connect rather uniquely to how we understand identity. So for you, that legacy being out there, you having those visual representations of what it, not only what it looked like, but what it felt like to have all those peoples whose lives were touched by the institution that formed you. And I see it all around, even in just structures, because like that whole general area where I was raised in every town I go to, I know the buildings that he built. I'm like, oh, that's the post office that he built. Oh, that's the Maverick that he built. That's, you know, so all those things are right there for me to see, like enduring memories or like uh, icons of what the man did. But I could go in an emo way. I feel to pat myself on the back that I've handled it pretty balanced because I could go into that situation being like, oh, I've got this to live up to. I've got this legacy to live up to. And around my family, I feel it a little bit, but not around like other otherwise. But um, I could also go into it being kind of like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's my dad. And, and <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, think people George. look at it that way. I really don't. I think people I like look George at it like, like, it's almost like, do you think that the iPhone 5 looks at the iPhone 6 and says, God, I, wish, I don't think I should be much better. I, I, wish, I wish I didn't have <laughs> a headphone jack. People, people, don't, people don't do that, right? They look at it as, oh, the, I love the iPhone 5 because I love Apple, right? It's a product of Apple. I think when people talk about kids of, oh, that's of, interesting. of people, they're not as concerned as you 
especially up to a certain age, they mm-hmm. don't give a shit about what you're about. They're like, oh, you're that, you're that guy's kid, yeah, mm-hmm. right. And and I think that kind of plays into what I was saying before. For that separation, if you're my sister, and I and I, this is somewhat supposition, okay, but if you're my sister, and you're not a bloodline Langley, and you just have the shit beat out of you by Langley Senior, right? And Langley Jr. comes in, and you love the shit out of that kid, right? He's cute. He's funny. He's not that cute. <laughs> but you get my point, Or that right? funny. He's cute. He's but, cute. But you do, because of your own personal defense mechanism, you would draw a line of separation. I'm not related to that man, but I love that kid. Huh. Right. Right? And and I think that, you know, it's interesting when people start doing that. If And when you talk to my sister, you get that. Well, she has well, this weird dichotomy of having a clear angst against my father which she should mm-hmm. there's some really dark shit that happened there but simultaneously kind of holding me in that sort of coveted regard of well not you that I don't mean you right and 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 that's the way they think of it for me I never drew that line of differentiation you know to, to differentiate me from sure. that I, I would see the behavior and I knew that even though they weren't um, aware of it, maybe that me being in the house would make them think of this man, good or bad. And eventually, if it started with a good thought, it was going to end with a bad one. If it started with a bad thought, it was going to stay on a bad one. And I'm the kid going, I just wanted to play. You know? <laughs> oh, you're talking about my dad again. Uh, you know, I don't know whether or not this is like a, a subconscious thing, but in later years, I thought about it a little bit and thought maybe this kind of summed it up from not maybe summed it up, but in a way for me how it made sense to me and we're coming from again different backgrounds different scenarios but the adopted thing mm-hmm. it was really and and for mike i think it wouldn't have been nearly as possible because you're brown mm-hmm. folks are white yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm brown my folks are white but my dad's pretty dark mm-hmm. you know um mexican blood and everything like that so we'd go out places and he'd introduce me this to my son They'd be like, oh, he looks just like you. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no, no. I used to get that all the time. Did you still get that? I but got they, that. My dad and I would like exchange like a little look, almost like a little wink. Like, <laughs> like well, no, I, oh, really? Does he now? Does I was he? I was a bit of a smart ass. People would be like, oh, oh I can see I can see the, I can see the resemblance. Oh. And at like the time, I wore, I wore glasses and my father wore glasses. And I would, I would actually, I would literally look at people and go, it's in the glasses. <laughs> it's the glasses. Yeah. Boy, that is witty. Yeah. <laughs> not really, not really witty, but at the time, That's it, Oscar I don't Wilde know that level. I don't know that I was, and, and you know, and, and on it, quite honestly, looking back at that, I was never angry that people would say, "Oh, look at my father when he would introduce me as his son," no, and no. say, "Oh, I see the resemblance," but I, I would look angry. at I would look at it and be like, "They're I don't know what they're seeing," so I would be like, "I, I would." I think it's a polite like, thing. Oh, it's it's the glasses, yeah, because my father wore glasses and I wore glasses at the time, but you know. Perhaps it was the mannerisms. Yeah. Because I know for a fact that I do certain sure. things that remind me of my father. Absolutely. And and I'm sure, you know. Cadence. You probably do that. Reflection. Mm-hmm. The way you form your words. The way you, it's true. you talk with your hands. Well, I've had uh, my siblings even say it. They're like, you remind me of dad. Yeah. And I, I know, Mitch, you've had that happen. Uh-huh. 
where they say that you remind you of your father. Mike, the only thing I don't think that is hereditary for you is your resting bitch face. I think that's all. You <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think your dad doesn't have an ink. Well, I think there it. are some ink and no, paintings really. and things that depict that. If he inherited it, it's, it's very. <laughs> yeah, Mike, I yeah. mean, I just want to say your resting bitch face is formidable and it's all yours. You know, I own <laughs> that too. You do. I own it's that. All yours. I have cultivated that. Did you copyright it? I did. It's a I beautiful did, thing, man. Patent pending. Beautiful thing. And I say this to my sisters and my siblings as, as a whole. When they start talking about the angst they still carry from their childhood and what they feel like they didn't have, I'm always at a point of wanting to say, well, do you like yourself right now or don't you? Because if you do like yourself, if you consider yourself uh, harder with more edge or with more of a survivor skill or whatever you think of yourself that makes you feel like you're a great above the common everyday man that if the shit hit the fan or any other stupid colloquialism you want to inject here, <laughs> um, you know, that you'd be able to handle it. I think that comes from having survived some terrible things. And I think that that's, you know, you can plug in a lot of different shit here will inherit the earth or whatever you want to say. <laughs> I was thinking more of that which doesn't kill us. Makes, makes strong, us stronger. But so I'm saying you can inject these things and they all seem to play out as true. You know, uh, I do think that, um, you know, those people who come up like that have a better ability to roll with the punches, to find, uh, use ingenuity as a way to survive. And I think when you don't hone that skill set, things can seem a lot more dramatic and traumatic than they really are. So if you have a sheltered life and then you're 30 and you find out that your wife's been fucking that other dude for five years <laughs> and, and that kid might not be yours and some shit's going to happen now and that your whole world is melting down and you might be driven to some chaotic shit, right? But if you were a product of a tough childhood, when that shit happens, you're the guy who's sitting in the chair going, yeah. It'll be okay. You're tempered. You're tempered yeah, through yeah. the, the, it's the not heat surprising. of di yeah, diversity. Is, You're like, is you know stronger. what? I knew life was going to get me one way or the other. Well, you know, <laughs> I won't I won't lie to you guys. I mean, you know, my my Why life not? was not perfect. Well, no, I totally <laughs> lied to you, but not not to, not to Mitch. Not he's, not gonna gonna lie. Lie. he's not going to so lie to the let audience. Me, let me talk to Mitch. Let me talk to Mitch. I will not lie. I mean, my life was not perfect. I mean, I mentioned my father had depression problems. There were other issues that came up throughout the course of my life as an adolescent. Um, my grandmother, I, I determined a long time ago, was crazy. Crazy grandmother. Um, and that didn't help things. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to go into detail, but what I will say is this, is that somewhere along the lines, I, I learned that things always work out. And I, I don't necessarily mean that things work out for the better. I just mean that things have a way of working out. And so it's something that I've kind of held on to and, and not going into too much detail. I won't lie and say that there's never been a low point in my life because there has been. There was like one right now. Right. That's true. <laughs> sitting, sitting here next to Charlie, low sitting here point. next to Charlie, hanging low out with point. Mitch. I mean, it's a low point in my life. But no, I mean, I, I, I think what it honestly what some of this stuff has come about, you know, with me and, and the experiences I've had is that, you know, we talked about it last time. I value my friendships. I don't have a lot of friends, but the ones that I do have, I work very hard to keep them close. Um, very hard. Okay, so with Mitch, with Mitch, yes, very hard, because I don't want to lose him. With Charlie, I've been trying to lose him for years. It hasn't happened yet, but you know, fingers crossed. Um, 
No, I'm just saying that uh, that I've I've learned over the years that somehow things do work out, but not necessarily the way you want them to, or the way you expect. Right. Yeah. yeah but they do work out, and you can kind of roll with things if you, well, you if can you make allow yourself out. to. Right. No, you're right. You can roll with things, but they may not work out. But you can make them work out if you have the right mindset, if you have mm-hmm. the willingness to work at the result. Sometimes it's beyond your control, and you're handed a result. Mm-hmm. If you just take it and cry about it. Right. Yeah, but if you take it and you you grow with it, or you become a better man, like it seems, like Charlie turned all this. Well, let's don't say better with Charlie. I mean, let's don't. Let's say well, you know, better than, better than like negative sixty four. Better than my father. Let's say that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that that you can take it adversity, like you're saying, and and grow and become better for it. Mm -hmm. That's all. Well, and I can tell you as far as real world perspective, um, you know you. You heard a little bit real of world. Well, as far as where I'm at right, right now, I don't, now. Live we don't seem very real. In none, that of, real world. none of this conversation has been real. I don't no, know. Ta- like, I'm it's about so, <laughs> it's so, so real right now. I don't know. That was not the right answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, current person. I think you got to okay. preface that with how let me get real for a second. Me, let's get real. How that history impacts me today is what I should say. Maybe real world. Well, definitely real world is the wrong thing to say. But just the small amount of history that you have on me personally. And add a little more detail in there. I'm at a point where just my wife just had surgery a few months ago. And for the first time in 10 years, she doesn't have chronic pain that she has to live with in her neck. So I'm at a spot where for the first time in my relationship with my wife in the last 10 years, she's healthy and doesn't have pain. This is a moment in time where my life is easy and doesn't come with a prerequisite a list of concerns that have to be managed before you can plan maybe a good time. And if you've had my past, I think people who've had similar pasts become keenly aware of, for lack of a better word, intangibles. And you start valuing maybe the ebb and the flow that life can provide you. So I find myself in a position where, for the first time in 10 years, life is easy and simple and we're moving and so do you you know i was faced with a point of thinking early on this is a great opportunity to make a huge investment take a lot of risk for your retirement money 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 right you get inspired by the same social pressures you think i better plan for my retirement (laughs) i'm 41 i'm gonna bust ass for three years in a shithole and make it worth a gold little diamond it's gonna be great (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and you think that and, and you, something occurred to me when I realized that I don't need to inject strife and a myriad of obstacles and a downtrodden daily existence for this new beginning that happens to be originating in a point that I thought was impossible. A simple, easy, good existence where all I have to do is be stupid and eat my fucking food and pay my bills and go and do dumb shit and buy a fucking couch or whatever dumb (laughs) shit normal people do and just enjoy the fact that for a small time in my measly little flash of an existence, I had it easy. So think of it that way. I started hard at early ages. There was always these peaks of trauma and bad things and things I had to survive. And it 
led me to a place where I think I had the constitution and foundation to help another person that I cared about persevere through something totally traumatic and detrimental and unexpectedly find your place, find yourself in a place where that's gone. You've made it through the trenches. You've, and you kind of reap you, the benefits. You're at this point where I'm so aware of how I need to make sure I just enjoy and cultivate a simple life of gratitude and enjoying the ease of it. It doesn't require me to fill it with obstacles or what would seemingly be bold ambition for greenbacks and petrol dollars that don't mean shit anyway. He's filling me, filling me you know, with contentment wow. and ease yeah, right now. I feel good. It, it, well, does, it does lay into you this moment, this um, conclusion, well for me, it, these conclusions of it's totally acceptable to just have a good thing Enjoy it while it lasts because at some point it's going to get hard again. So, I'm you know, not saying you go through life without a plan. You know, know. It, it's good to plan. What? You know, it's good sometimes to have a plan, <laughs> have a backup. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Don't, you know, wait, this, wait, this, wait, this wait, is not wait, me. Wait, wait. This, this is not me talking. This Slowly is my wife roll. talking. Because <laughs> my wife's the one who has the plan. I'm the one who's like, I roll with the punches. Do you think that you know, any of your friends um, don't know that? <laughs> no, that's true. I, don't, I, I, I don't feel like we all that. think you have the plan. But, but here's, here's the thing I was going to say is that, uh, you know, because we started off this podcast talking a little bit about family and how we want to connect with family. Yeah. And I have nieces and nephews who if there's one thing I could tell them it's it's that yeah, life doesn't always work out the way you want it to. But if you perhaps plan, if you persevere, if you realize that that things don't go the way you want them to, but you can still make changes and have control, that just don't give up. Don't lie to them and tell them you can have control. I'm not saying We're on you a can big have giant control. stone I'm hurtling through space. Like, I, I'm just there's saying no control. I'm just saying that like <laughs> you can have a modicum of control. I'm kidding. Um, illusion. You can have an illusion. illusion. You can of have control, the illusion. You too can have the illusion. America. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like how this went to America. I, I do. I think. But no. Some. Inf- I think it's about influence and motivation and about. Um, I do think it's about doing the work. And I think that about relationships. It's absolutely well, about doing the work. And, and earlier we were talking about like, you know, podcasts and connecting with family and everything. And I think that, you know, my idea for some of this is that I would like to be able to connect with extended family, like my sister's kids, my brother's kids. And I have, I have three brothers, uh, two of which have kids. And I would like to be able to connect with those kids. And, and I'm not saying that I know everything. You know, as much as like to, like, I like I to pretend like that. Do you notice how he leans into the mic a little bit more? He's like, I'm not saying that I know what I'm going to get the That's true. I, I just want to make a point here and emphasize. You got the but I, I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> by using something like this, like the podcast, we can connect with family and let them know where they came from mm-hmm. and what we're about, what they can perhaps learn from us. Well, the story as told by those generations, you can't purvey somebody else's meaning and what that story means to them or the way that they heard it from their affair, their mm-hmm. parents, you cannot purvey that to, you can only, I mean, if you're lucky, one other person, or mm-hmm. one generation, we're talking down the length of three or four generations from now. So 2130, in the year 2120, <laughs> 2130, 
you're talking about the base of having whoever your relatives are at that point. Whatever guy is sitting in front of some super future space microphone talking about, you know, how they're, you know, space microphone, I like that. How they're my microphones are kind of spaceful microphones. But you know spaceful. what I'm saying? They're going to be able to look at a video of you and, or you know, and your facial expressions and things like that to have a, a, a little string that ties you back a hundred years in your brain. Mm-hmm. Gives you a sense of foundation and grounding that I, I, and I mean, even if it's just in the head of the kid, whatever kid we're talking about, if you're talking about kid A that was like me, who had all that theory of depth and foundation sort of really scattered thin, versus someone like yourself who's got a lot more depth there, I think you're talking about the origins of problem-solving skills, confrontational skills, communication skills, existentialism, you know, and I think if you if you talk about somebody who has a very um, normal, what would we consider a normal, structured, healthy, supportive family existence, they're going to think people who are being existential are maybe denying the good Christian God. Or mm-hmm. maybe, you know, they're going to consider them in a different perspective. They might consider Fight Club <laughs> in a different realm than something that you and I may think because we're going further into that abyss and that's at, at everybody's nature from my perspective uh you have a lot of people who are unequipped to deal with the unknown to them and so they look for uh, primers they look for mechanisms or methodologies that help them make sense of the world and for a lot of times i think for a long time that's been religion Mm-hmm. That it serves a functional purpose, and I think it makes things binary and explainable. And it's easier for someone who doesn't want to take the time to think and doesn't want to risk being really very wrong about their conclusions. Ignorance may not be bliss, but it certainly is easier. It's easier, right, mm-hmm. right. And then I don't think that they want to ask those questions. So, you know, for yourself, Mitch, who I think has got a lot more depth than your average person, you can watch a movie, and that movie pertaining to my point before about as you get older and you see things differently that movie is really an exploration of you where you know it's about the viewer it's about where who the viewer identifies with if you're talking about fight club the first time you saw it it'd be interesting to talk to people and see who did they identify with did you identify with ed norton the first time you saw it did you identify with brad pitt the first time you saw it maybe some women who saw it identified with uh more you know i identified with that pretty kid <laughs> the one who got his No, no. But no, I mean, I, I mean that though because I think that's what's interesting about those movies is if you go back, you will identify with different parts of that character. You mm-hmm. know, if you're if you're a snobby kid who's never had to work for a living and you watch Fight Club, you get a different <laughs> feeling of it than if you're a kid who's had to fucking bust your ass, has got scratched up knuckles and sore knees, mm-hmm. and then you see him in the bathroom saying. We take care of your everyday lives. Do not fuck with us. You're like, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know, you, you, know you, you do. You you identify no, it, with different it's roles. True. It's true. It's true. But I think one of the things you know, as you go through life, it's interesting to me how people perceive, uh, perhaps your own family versus the way that you perceive your family. 
you know, and I think this is kind of what you were talking about a little bit too. Is I've heard this from you before. Yeah. Well, because when I was a kid growing up, one of the things we used to get all the time, my parents used to get complimented on the way that we behaved, you know, because my brothers and Do my sister still? and I, not now, no. <laughs> Um, but the fact that we were like when you were guys kids. working on the cotton gin, kind exactly. Of thing, like we were working <laughs> out the cotton gin, uh, yeah. or when you were like out delivering <laughs> bottles of milk. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and actually, I'm sure I'm sure that you probably experienced this too, Mitch. You know, you're making light of it right now, but I, I'm sure you probably have experienced this where somebody complimented your parents on the way that your you and your siblings behaved, because the way that somebody from outside the family viewed you guys, and it's not the same way that you view your family. We used to get this a lot when I was a kid. We used to get, you know, because we used to travel. We used to visit relatives, and everybody comment, commented on the fact that my siblings and I were very well behaved. Wow. Well, we were be- well behaved at someone else's house because we were <laughs> uh, afraid of the punishment that would rain down upon us if we got out of line. I see. But when we got home, it was a completely different story. You know, we were we were fighting amongst each other. Um, you know, sure. we didn't necessarily listen to my parents all the time. Sure. We got into trouble at home, but you know, out away from them, out in the world or whatever, we presented a different different view of that. Um, so people saw us differently. So what? Let me ask but, you this, Mike, because you know I know that you're proud of your dad, and you should be, and I know you're proud mm-hmm. of your upbringing, and you should be. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the one thing about yourself that maybe your dad was trying to make an impact on you, but it didn't take? Like one thing that you look at yourself, and you're like, God, I'm such a fuck. <laughs> like, like, why didn't I listen to my dad? Why didn't I just listen a little stronger? Because, I mean, you do a lot of talking about, uh, you know, people thought I was really well behaved and they complimented my parents. And I've got very strong opinions. I'm but opinion really, I'm a rebel. And not really, I'm a rebel, but I'm not the kind of rebel you know. Well, here, here's the thing. It's like, I, I did stuff in high school. I got away with things. Stuff. Stuff. What's stuff? Dude, stuff. There are people in the audience who don't know what you mean by stuff. With well, the people in the audience who are still going to know what they mean by stuff. Stuff. No, I'm that just, is compelling. Well, I recently yeah. revealed to my parents that once we moved out to California, I I used to keep a uh, paper in my car. I was so hoping you said that was that was like tra- I had traced my mother and my father's signatures so that I could type up like notes and get out of school oh, and did scandalous scandalous i know Sleazy. but this was yeah. something i could never do up in the white mountains of arizona uh, because my father was a school teacher and all my teachers knew my father i see so i could never get <laughs> what is going on over here i kind of hate charlie right now he does this all the time <laughs> okay. i hate this guy but uh uh really interesting no, I, i'm just i'm just saying that like um you know from from a certain perspective when you look at other people's families, and Charlie, you probably experienced this too. You probably had friends that you looked at their families and you're like, oh my God, their family's perfect. You know, nah, I thought they were all shit, man. I now, I'm sure you know, he says that, but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there was somebody. What about Pete's family? Uh, no, you know what? Um, well, that's a, that's a tough question. You know, man. other than the fact that his brother was, was murdered. The, uh, I will say this. I got to see a family that I don't, and, and to your point. And it was a family dynamic that you didn't have. Well, look, to your point, before before he lost his brother, before his brother was taken from him, mm-hmm. they were what I would have considered a perfect um, model. Maybe mm-hmm. model is probably a better word. I think model is model the perfect family. Word. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they have a large family. Boys and girls, everybody very educated, husband and wife very educated, mm-hmm. um, successful, uh, very interesting, very hard-nosed, hard-working, good people. And I got to see 
the impact of 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 a child being taken from them and it is really heartbreaking in in many fashions because there are times where you you're just not equipped even as adults now mm-hmm. whoever's listening you can't fully uh comprehend or understand. comprehend or maybe appreciate is a hard word to use but it's very difficult to appreciate the full range blast radius impact of something like that to a family dynamic and and referencing something back to what we're talking about you know we start talking about things like people not liking a movie or a whole bunch of people liking a movie and and there's a lot there but what what you start realizing is there's just not a lot of effort by your average person from what i'm aware of that goes into thinking about intangible elements like the impact on a family dynamic or paradigm after the loss of one of their siblings or sons. And to, to bear witness to that was um, very impacting for me personally. Uh, and, and to give you an interesting thought here, um, you know, you were making a comment earlier. Uh, and I'm gonna butcher it here about how I have taken my experience and made something good of it um, uh, and I'm butchering it you can go back to it but I want to put in perspective this reference to this family that lost their son and brother that family took me in when I was kicked out of my house with less than a year after they lost their son so think about that I'm fighting physically with my stepfather. I get kicked out of my house. I have nowhere to go. And this family takes me in after they've lost their son. And I'm at this keen position to bear witness to how it impacted every individual in that family. We're talking about other than the person who is deceased, three brothers and two twin sisters and a mom and a dad. And they took me in and treated me like one of their own. And I mean that. They treated me like a son and they were in my face about getting up, going to school, doing your homework. That was the thing I never grew up with was somebody in my ass getting me to go and not taking anything I'm saying to mean anything. Like, I don't care. You're here to do this. Mm -hmm. Do it. This is the expectation. They held you to a high standard. They did. And they're a much more structured family in that. But they were also falling apart simultaneously. Right. So. You were saying about making a good thing out of something bad. And I told you earlier, I made a, a fleeting reference to how during high school, my sophomore, junior year, I stopped being so uh, uh, looking for bullies to antagonize. Um, and a lot of it came from my experience with this family. And and it was it was a really clear idea that there were ramifications and contingencies to every act of malice no matter how small and that the all the ends the end sum was it destroyed people that you might never see it and that humiliation was really detrimental because that's what it felt like you know to people as individuals for them they felt humiliated they couldn't protect their own you can imagine how that would shatter people brothers mm-hmm. sisters whatever and and pertaining to my protective tendencies it put Pete in an interesting point of being this kid who had a lot of existential curiosities because of the, the loss he experienced 
and I and he was also sort of the skinnier, frailer kid. And I, I, I've met and Pete. Wanted, he is definitely skinny. And I wanted to be. <laughs> I wanted to protect that kid because he had something in his brain. You know mm-hmm. that 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 really way cool. smarter than Charlie. He's a smart guy. Oh yeah. I, to this day, definitely. I love I love him. Shoot, I pass all my ideas by him because he shoots me down, and I and that's the back and forth I like. I like our method, um, and you know he's a good friend. But I I got to witness that, and that pushed me to a point where. Um, I, I think that instituted a lot of my initiative to want to do better mm-hmm. was seeing the impact of that kind of thing. Well, and this this in in a in a roundabout way kind of so lends kind itself of to the out, question yeah. I had about like you know how do people view your family? So like Mitch, you know I'm sure you've probably heard this, and you know if you did, please share. But if you didn't, then just tell me I'm full of shit. You are full of shit. You are. Well, full I'm totally of shit. full of shit. But I'm sure I'm certain mm-hmm. because I've met your sisters. And they're they're wonderful people, um, you know. How did people view your family from the outside looking in? Um, eyeballs and all, windows, buddy. Uh, eyeballs and windows. Uh, well, first I want to say, like, just because it hasn't been addressed or, or brought up before, but um, I started toying with this whole podcast of stories and families and. And again, not with the thought of an audience or anything particularly, except for ourselves. And I'm really glad that you guys are here doing this. And I'm excited about passing it on to you guys and, and, and having that record and you guys listening to it. And I just have to share that it was probably this time last year that I first really was kind of playing with it. And now listening to Mike and wanting to pass things on to generations and his children, etc., that he turned me down. <laughs> I don't yeah, remember he, both you and Amanda straight what? up turned me down. I don't. I don't remember this at all. I know you. I'm clearly you don't. But well, I just want to share. It sounds, it sounds like my but wife. Before I, but before I forgot. Before sounds I forgot. Like my I, wife, but doesn't sound like me at all. No, absolutely. You guys, did. <laughs> you guys were in the store, and I was like, I was really caught up with the. the I was. I was caught up with the excitement of it. The idea of like capturing these stories and yeah. passing them on. I was like, man, your children. You can tell your children the yeah. story of your. Like your courtship, and well, maybe you don't want to tell them all the story. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I just something. What's that? You are on to something, and not just about Mike. I'm talking about my own mother. You are on to something when it comes to those stories, and there's a big point to it. There's a difference between the narrative and the truth. (laughs) Okay, and I just thought that it would make for some great, great. The truth is better. The truth is more valuable. Sure. Because, and I'm telling you, talking to my mother, referencing that time when I was 13, and you talked about the epiphany. Mm -hmm. The epiphany for me was that my mother was cultivating a very, very refined story. That that Hmm. she was the consummate victim who had no role to play. She was an innocent, wide-eyed girl that was swept off her feet by a nefarious. Well, and, charismatic evildoer, and then it reminds you know, me of my like grandmother on my father's side. You know, like it, it, the reality was, she, my mom was a seedy person who liked to fucking break the rules and have a life that was behind closed doors. She was very good at poise and presenting the world with a certain character. She's still very good at that, and it doesn't make it any less genuine. It just she hides this other part of herself. Because she she's clear that that would be uh, unpalatable for normal people, and 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 just to kind of key off how real this is with my whole family, 
at, and you were there, Mike, so you could testify to this. Mm-hmm. At my rehearsal dinner at my <laughs> wedding, I said... Best stories come from rehearsal dinners. I've just said to everybody, describing my family, describing who my grandfather really was, then the connection I felt with him, who was a hard-laboring man who really put our family on the map in this country. Mm-hmm. My great-grandfather first, but my grandfather through a lot of labor. I feel particularly honored to be able to say I know what it's like to put in a hard physical day's work with my hands. Yeah. And I think my grandfather would appreciate that one of his grandkids could identify with that, you know, and, and, and walk a mile in his shoes, so to speak. But at my rehearsal dinner, I said, I'd rather be a family of pirates and thieves <laughs> and know who I am than I would pretend I was something I wasn't. And my whole family had that subconscious reveal all simultaneously where they all had the devilish grin. They started cracking and then they started laughing and clapping like, ah, 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 we are pirates and thieves. We're a bunch of fuckers. <laughs> but we love you and we're all team players and that's the truth about my family <laughs> they're all team players and they'll cut somebody else's fucking throat and not blink an eye about it they're animals but they don't want you to know that mm-hmm. that's what I think the reality is about families I think the reason we love shit like the Sopranos and things families that are kind of these mafioso corrupt families is they're not delusional about what the fuck they are we are Mm-hmm. You know, if we we're more bothered about what Tony Soprano does than Tony is. Tony's like, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> well you gotta do it. I I get, my like SUV. I said, I my caddy payment. My grandmother on my father's side was the same way. So like she that. she liked to present this facade as though she was this just this Boys. angel, this saint. You know, and, but she did not. She, I I knew what she was. My father knew what she was. My father told me what she was. So I knew some stories. That she definitely wouldn't want, you know, me to share with anybody. Um, and I, I saw some she examples. Liked big black dick. Yeah, exactly. I'm telling you. Uh, I, I saw some. Ex- I saw some examples my with my grandmother. Dick, there were I think times. the audience is properly titillated at this. That's point. right. That's right. I saw some examples with my grandmother growing up when she would basically lose, basically lose her shit, is the way you want to say it. Ooh. You know, she would, she would go fucking crazy. What do you mean? Um, just. I remember times with her yelling at my grandfather and as a child I would observe this and I'm like I'm like there is no reason just some old lady like coming in the room and throwing like a big tub of cottage cheese on the ground be like I'm not fucking taking it anymore there, well I, the, the time I specifically remember we were uh, traveling somewhere I was with my grandparents uh, my grandfather stopped to get gas and my grandmother just lost it because he didn't clean the windshield I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what happened, God but she was pain. yelling at him and she was pissed that he didn't clean the windshield. So oh, I'm, I'm just saying that, like you know, like you were saying that there's there's certain things that family members perhaps don't want you to know. They present the faca- this uh, facade. I think but, the truth is more valuable, man. But like I, I said, really uh, you know, and I'm sure Mitch, you have stories like this where like people view your family as. You were asking, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, you know, He's I'm okay with it. Let me drink some more of this. I'm okay with it. That's. Great. <laughs> now wait a second, Mitch. You like, can't expect you know, us to come on here and share, and you not share. Well, I, I honestly, tit, tit I, I, I think that no, I, I think this I is more. This is no, this is more of a thing for you. I, uh, and and maybe I'm outside of it for some weird reason. But you're you're asking 
how did the outside perceive my family? How did yeah, outsiders? I'm just, I'm just I, how could I possibly recognize that or know that without? I I was inside, so I have no idea how. Uh, other than reactions after, for example, like my father's passing, mm-hmm. or I mean, I have no idea how we were perceived okay, from the outside. Well, I can okay, give you so a you few like your father's passing. Don't interrupt me. I'm telling you a story. <laughs> What? I love it. Panning. 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 Oh, panning. That's that. right. Mine, yeah, mining, mining, mining for, for meaning. Mining, mining for, for meaning. meaning. I love yeah, it. It's it great. It, it it's, it's fucking great. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry. When you started telling the story about your grandma, it made me think of my story or, or one of my stories. Do you guys believe in like like repression? Yeah. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah, okay, you both answered so quickly. I really never did. Never believed in it. I was like, really? How could you just forget something? How could you block it out so entirely that you don't recall it at all? <clears throat> so once, <laughs> according to uh, my family, it was after we just came back from Hawaii, and my grandmother was welcoming us, welcoming us back. And uh, she and my grandfather had split up, and she was living here in Tucson. He had a home in Patagonia. And uh, she had always had problems, troubles. She wasn't, you know, she had some issues. Um, but apparently we, we got to her house and she, we, you know, we went inside. She welcomed us. We're all hanging out. And then she said, I'll be right back. And she went into the back room and then came back out and did a topless hula <laughs> <laughs> to what? welcome us back from Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> wow. I have zero memory of this you know what you probably don't you? want to remember that i have no you? no re- not even the remotest record because sometimes someone will tell you a story i think how the most like important night, question is how old was she no, no, you no, know no, like no, on no. a night like, like you a night when you like blacked out and you're yeah. like i mm-hmm. think i remember that that burrito I, I think i remember that dancer but you kind of remember no zero recollection or, or like you remember proposing to that uh lead singer of zipperella <laughs> You that think might have this happened. Shit's like Westworld, man. You, think, like, you, could, you just couldn't process it. You look at you like doesn't look like anything to me. <laughs> like, well, to you, it was just pixelated. Like your mind was like, those aren't Nana's titties. <laughs> like, your mind was just like a defense. Like, your brain knew something you didn't. Like it was like pixelate those titties. Pixelate them immediately. Hit the pixel button. <laughs> Sensor, yeah, sensor. Exactly. Oh, it's like me. I'm going to have to learn how to do like bleeping because you were like trying to like bleep, delete people's like last names only. I'm going to have to learn how to bleep out. Um, well, I mean, I must have been 15, 16 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. Oh, my wow. God. Yes, you definitely but, need to block that out. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I was older. It wasn't that I was a younger child. Older is interesting. Because I have no memory of this. Sense. Right? But no, I was because when I moved wow. back to the States and I called the States because in Hawaii and like the States, People kept referring to them as if they were separate. Like, well, oh, they yeah, are. Right. There's a different mentality. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I the mean, mainland. Look, to be more topical, Jeff Sessions just proved with his commentary about Hawaii why Hawaii has every right to feel separate. Mm. You know that that even today there is a separation of the idea that Hawaii is an island. Well, there's a movement you know? for like the uh, the Hawaiian people like to recognize the Hawaiian nation as a, you know. Well, they have a specific know. culture that's separate from the rest. Absolutely. Of the well, wait a second. Let's still so get off topic here. I want to hear about Mitch's grandmother's tits. My, <laughs> I ha- how old was she? I have no idea. I don't okay. know. I, I was Mike's I trying know. to cultivate. Was she was she a cougar Mike, or was she a saber tooth tiger? Mike's Mike trying to make a, a deposit in the spank bank. He needs Tell a visual. He needs a visual. Grandma was very old. She okay. was. She was so saber tooth tiger. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so you know, all right, go. Identify with that though. I mean, there's nothing a, else to say. Without <laughs> trying to take it to a serious point, I can say that there are without 
Yeah, because okay. I don't want to get specific. Like I'm trying to overshare. Sure. I, I just relate to the fact that um, there are things that happened to me personally as a kid that were abusive that I had blocked out and repressed and didn't have any idea about until and I did a lot of the work. I want to express my deep support for wanting to research, wanting to seek out help, therapy, psychologists, psychiatrists. I don't think there is um, a specific one answer, but I, I appreciate my experience with those things. They helped uh, equip me with the tools that I use to this day to help me um, maintain my sanity and bring me understanding about things that I have trouble with digesting initially. Uh, and uh, But I can tell you with that work that I was made aware of things that I had repressed from an early childhood, though, um, that were sexual in nature. That I Because there's nothing that your young brain has to f really formulate that into context you know you it, yours is interesting because it was 15 it's so it's funny, like so but, i so beyond my recollection that i genuinely feel that they're all mistaken like everyone else right. who tells me the story i'm like as you if you had are, amnesia like no, yeah like no, you're crazy that, that absolutely did not happen and they look at me like i am a crazy man right. that i'm like i didn't look like anything to you. I hate right? pixels. You, yeah, whoever designed whatever <laughs> mechanism is running you took They that disconnected away from you. me from the matrix yes. for a moment. You couldn't see what plugged me back you. in later. Yeah. You're just like <laughs> yeah, you're just like but was but Arnold in that was a was his name was Arnold, but in in Westworld, you're that guy. You can't look at your own schematics and see anything. It's just a piece of paper. Now, I, I do think repression's a real thing and I uh, I I mean I've witnessed it myself. And I think that it's it's interesting because I think the human mind just mm -hmm. does that. It protects you in some of those instances in ways that you're not aware of. And I think bringing you understanding after the event is sort of an, it's an interesting thing to want to explore. Well, you I know, how you can get what's closure. the evolutionary purpose behind that? Well, like, okay, you know, so because for survival, for survival, I mean, yeah. So that just so that you don't break down. Your fucking parents, or t did a hoot naked hula dance for you? Like right. you <laughs> same thing, <laughs> same thing. Same equivalent. thing. <laughs> See, I, I, I have this interesting dichotomy as far as it comes to uh, repressed memories, because you know my own father talks about like the fact that there are certain memories that he can't, you know, certain points in his life he can't recall. Mm -hmm. Um. But then having studied psychology, and, and granted, just the small bit that I've studied, uh, there are certain things out there that say that repressed memories are not actually something that we can can uncover. Um, you know, because back in the like the '90s and stuff, there was this huge movement within psychology, psychology and stuff, where people were discovering repressed memories. They discovered <laughs> that they'd been sexually sexually molested, people abducted by to, aliens. Yeah, people were going to jail. Uh, and it was a huge thing, and then it, it came out through testing and whatnot that it wasn't true. So Fake I news. have, yeah, implanted memories essentially. You know, mm -hmm. if people can be can be suggestible. Uh, you know, if you if you lead them in certain directions, they can say yes, I did this is what happened to me. So but I have an issue. I have I don't necessarily have an that's issue. That's not a repressed memory, though, right? Well, I mean, if you're being implanted yes with a no, memory, that's I mean, not a repressed instance where you were not a repressed there. memory but at the same time from and granted this is me and i'm not speaking as a professional just as a lay person but uh it's 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 the evidence leans more towards 
there not being such a thing as repressed memories. Hmm. But on this, uh, you know, at the same time, Do I have difficulty discounting that? it completely because of the fact that you know I used to have conversations with my, with my father. Sure. And there are points in his life that he can't remember. So can I can I can I make two well, two additions to this <clears throat> his line of conversation? Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, uh, two instances in my life. As far as being uh, abused or sexually molested by my father, those things I can tell you are things I believe are repressed memories, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the main reason well, why I believe. Can I, can I just ask real quick and not to not to dis you well, know not let me to make, my other make point it short? First. I was just curious. Point what first. age were you at that? Let time? me make my other point first. Okay, because the age is where I'm getting to. Okay, so. Whereas those things were exposed later on that I believe are repressed memories. Mm -hmm. And the reason I believe their authenticity has a lot to do with memories of other siblings' own testimony to that end. Mm -hmm. Um, But conversely, around the same age when I was kidnapped, I have a clear gap in the time from when I was taken mm-hmm. to the time that I was home. And I remember that period of time in very few sporadic flashes. Thanks for listening to Reminiscence from the Red Room. Please check. Thank you for listening to Ruminations from the Red Room. Please check back for Ruminations with Mike and Charlie, Night 2, Part 2 see how much deeper into our psychosis we can get and hopefully hear some more good stories have a good night